And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne and welcome to Pod on the Tyne. We've been watching the international results roll in from behind the sofa as the injury crisis in golf and Newcastle's men's squad somehow worsens. How is that possible? Still, it could be worse, couldn't it, Jacob? I really resent that the timings <laughs> of this podcast means that I have to appear straight after that punishment. Uh, there's, there's a jokey side of it, there's a serious side of it. It, it has radicalised me, I must say. All <laughs> right, yeah. I, I've gone full tin hat. You never want to go full tin hat. No, definitely not. You think they were a bit lenient, do you? You think the Premier League, yeah. Jacob, you think she's gone harsher? <laughs> I would say that there's an element of the Premier League wanting to show that they can mark their own homework with the presence of a regulator and to kind of use Everton as an example. They probably do have an extent that they can give Everton a big 10-point penalty and they probably will be okay because Everton, one of the form sides in the league, I don't know, I, I think they're... If I put my Newcastle hat on for a second, I think there is sort of reason for pause because if you kind of think about this context, like Everton thought that they had the Premier League marking their homework, they've been submitting their accounts, the Premier League had been helping them out and then the Premier League turned around and said, actually, we think you've broken it there. Now, Newcastle's relationship with the Premier League because of the ownership situation, because of numerous kind of other things we've sort of seen in the relationship with the Premier League, there's lots of regulation which goes on between Newcastle and the Premier League. So just kind of having a precedent of the Premier League sort of changing their mind to an extent and then sort of trying to prove a point is slightly concerning for football governance in general and Newcastle maybe as a club are more vulnerable than others. Fair play. Well, you managed to get that off your chest. Well done. I went for a little walk with the uh, with the dog just before, but it was very cold outside. I thought it might have felt around about minus 10. I think it might have been out there. Anyway, Chris Woff's here as well. Chris, how the devil are you? Uh, yes, I'm very good, thank you. Very good. This is the, the, nearly the end of the... Well, I say it nearly the end. We've only got a few days left of the international break, which means that there's only a few days left until Newcastle United can get another injury. <clears> That's harsh of me. No, hopefully not. Hopefully not. But just I'm just going by how... Uh, things have been going over the course of the last few weeks and the fear that injuries are just, just mounting up to an extent that Newcastle can't deal with them. But yes, I'm not too bad, thank you, Tiller. How How is George, the George the, the George we actually like? Oh, he's fast asleep right now next to my feet, bless him. He's all right, yeah. not That's not George Colkin, by the way. Just to be uh, completely clear, George Colkin is not asleep in my living room. Uh, George the dog is, though, and he's very well. He says, thank you for your concern, Chris. So we'll get into injuries and illnesses and all that a bit later on in the show, but let's start with a bit of good news. Uh, Newcastle United women's team beat Nottingham Forest away 1-0 with a goal on the hour mark from Casey Elson. A fantastic result there. A thousand travelling Geordies delighted. Newcastle now one point behind Burnley with a game in hand, but have also put some daylight between the top two and the chasing pack. Jacob, you've, uh, you've come into contact with the women's team a few times this season. They're doing well, aren't they? 
Yeah, really good season for them. I guess to an extent, there's a degree of pressure on them in that they'd been trying to get up to this league for so long. They'd gone fully professional. Every other side was kind of looking at them as a team to beat. And so far, even while introducing numerous new players into the squad, they've played really, really well. I think they're just off top, progressing in all the cups, going really well for them. And you mentioned that the thousand travelling Geordies went down. I mean, there were supporters, buses on, put on as well. I mean, that's sort of hopefully where the demand is growing for that. People yeah. are starting to really they, they're growing these crowds. Have seen the crowds they've been able to get at Kingston Park, obviously for the for the one off matches at St James's. But to to go to away games like this and be able to take fans, that's just great. And hopefully that continues to grow as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's twenty two points from a possible twenty four in the league so far, which is great going, isn't it? Um, progressing in both cups, like you said, Chris and Becky Langley cider are in really great shape Jacob aren't they they're banging the goals in left right and centre and they're playing some good football as well while they do it yeah and I mean in Bridget Galloway they've got a player who must be one of the form players in that league with her goal scoring exploits I think kind of in terms of defensively they've got if it's not the best defensive record in the league it's in the top two or three when I was looking earlier so both ends of the pitch going well and unlike the men's team there's not going to be this massive fixture block kind of yeah. rut of congestion coming up so um, yep yeah, looking set fair fair play uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a jiffy when Chris and I will get an extended interrogation of some ticket matters uh, sit tight for that we'll be back in just a minute Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's the international break, which allows us a little time to dedicate to some off-the-pitch matters. Uh, and one thing that has become a regular feature when you've been contacting us is ticketing. Uh, I have a little interest in this area, and Chris has looked into some of these issues in his work. But we're delighted, and not just a little bit relieved, to have some help in the form of two people with proper expertise. Uh, so it's hello and welcome to NUST Vice Chair Paul Carter, and former chair of the NUST, now Premier League Network Manager at the FSC. Thomas Concannon. Hello, chaps. How are we doing? You all right, Paul? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Taylor. How are you? Not too bad at all. Thanks for coming on. All right, Thomas, welcome back. Nice to have you back. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. No problem at all. So we're not going to mention where Thomas is. I mean, he's not just he's not just beaming in from anywhere here. He's beaming. He's beaming in from from a European country that I got completely wrong before. But do you want to tell us where you are, Thomas? I'm in uh, North Macedonia for the England game. We run a fans embassy out here, so we look after the England fans. The last one of 2023, so hopefully we'll finish on a high. And Chris, do you want to tell the listeners where you thought he was? Uh, North Montenegro. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is there a North Montenegro? Which which isn't even a place, there's no, is it? Mo- there's no North Montenegro. No. <laughs> That's, uh, we'll just bypass that. Cut that bit out, Ollie. Just cut that bit out. Don't yeah, be cutting anything. <laughs> So, uh, Thomas, I'm going to come to you first, I think, with this. Uh, digital technical problems, lengthy queues, onerous ID checks, ticket release clashes, and all the rest of it. It all seems like a little bit of a mess at the minute, doesn't it? Yeah, it's um, it, it's probably a lot to take in all at one 
at one time. You know, it was all brought in in the summer, and it was. Uh, I, I think the club have probably gone a little bit too far in the, in the sense of just releasing too much at once, um, and it's caused a, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress amongst the fan base because um, it takes a lot of getting used to. Yeah, I, I don't envy the club when it comes to ticketing, but certainly when it, when it's an issue like this, you've got to be careful, you've got to be cautious, you've got to have the right dialogue. And I think there's certainly ways that the club can go to to improve things moving forward. So yeah, it's it's been a it's been the topic of every pub conversation I think um, for quite some time, certainly since the season started. And Paul, how would you characterise the club's performance on tickets so far under this new ownership? <laughs> I mean, ticketing is a massively emotive topic, as Thomas has said. It's on the it's on the lips of everybody. Everybody's talking about it. If I'm to give them a, an out of ten, I'd probably give them a average five out of ten at the minute there's as thomas has said they've just done everything too quickly they almost run out of time instead of trialing yeah. it in certain areas they've they've just done everything at once and and it's a bit of a mess let's be honest yeah i mean in terms of when i go to to matches i am in in the press room so i don't directly have these problems myself but i have family members i speak to a lot of fans and we get a lot of messages about this and it did seem the communication came quite late in the summer as well as to some of the changes that came in. That's what I think surprised a lot of people that suddenly it was, we're changing to this ticketing system and this is what how X, Y and Z is going to work. And I mean, in terms of from that, Paul, is that, is that, are there some just basic issues of that as well that people just certainly to begin with early in the season didn't even necessarily fully understand what the changes were, how it worked to go to the ground. And then obviously you've got the complications beyond that in terms of changing tickets. Was that as simple as it was early on? I think so. Yeah. I think you're right. I think they've, they've done everything so quickly. They were away in America for what, two or three weeks. And then, you know, there was an announcement came out. There was a leak actually about sustainability and digital ticketing, which we raised. And then all of a sudden, thinking it's probably a 12-month project to go digital and everything around it, it's launched. And it was launched with one trial in the Salah Cup game that weekend of the August, August the 5th, I think. And I think it went okay. It wasn't, wasn't a full ground. And then all of a sudden, we've gone fully digital. We've got membership ballots. We've got away ballots. We've got to change the loyalty points, or the way people are getting tickets to loyalty point systems. But I think the, the key for me here is that ballots particularly for members and i think taylor you're a member aren't you yeah that's right and yeah. um, there's no transparency right so we don't know how many memberships have been sold it's just been unlimited memberships i think you can still buy them now no idea how many memberships have been sold i think peter silverstone told another well-known podcast that fifty thousand had been sold in the first 48 hours so you could probably assume double that maybe no idea how many tickets are on sale for each game no idea where the best place to apply for. It's causing, as Thomas has said earlier, a huge amount of anxiety across the board. You know, you kind of get one in a resale. It's really difficult to get one in a resale. It seems like bots are just buying up any tickets that are coming on resale. And then you're seeing tickets going on to third-party sites, which is causing a huge amount of anger. I mean, they've always been around, right? It's, they're nothing new. But because we're doing well on the pitch now, the demand for tickets is much higher. It's causing a lot of anger when you see 500 tickets on sale on livetickets.com or whatever it might be called. Um, and people kind of get a ticket for love and money. Um, you know, you see certain people on zero hour. I think there's been 12 ballots with Fulham going on tomorrow. Some people have just got none. Other people are getting eight. Well, Thomas, um, this may not be of great comfort to the listeners, but Newcastle isn't the only club who are dealing with these problems at the minute, are they? Absolutely not. It's Premier League wide. Certainly for the clubs that have a lot of demand, 
Paul touched on something there about ticket touting and, and these websites that are selling tickets at ridiculous prices. I saw this one website and it was advertising that they had 50 tickets for the Nottingham Forest home game, a game that hasn't even gone on sale. And they don't have 50 tickets. They probably have two tickets. And, and, and it's a bidding process is to get the price up before they eventually sell them. It, it's what you were seeing right across the league where the demand is. The clubs are coming up with membership schemes that are gold, silver, bronze style memberships. You know, so you have a gold membership, you're, you're going to have some sort of higher priority in order to be able to get some tickets for home games. There's just a multitude of, of different schemes across the league that clubs are trying to think up to tackle the issue of the demand that clubs have. Um, but ultimately, it's causing a lot of distress because fans aren't able to get the tickets and, and, and it's not satisfying the demand. There's other concerns to that, that when the demand is so high, is what are clubs going to do next? Yeah. Are they going to raise the prices? Are they going to, are they going to make the prices ridiculous to, to satisfy their pockets as well as, as well as the demand? You know, will will they, will they try and capitalise on the, on that demand? So it's it, there's many problems right across the division. Yeah, it's not. It certainly isn't just Newcastle, and it's I think ticketing as a whole. It needs a wider discussion with the Premier League and and, and with the clubs because, um, as we've all said so far, it's 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 a stressful game. Absolutely. And when we uh, when we put out a, a tweet on, on on Twitter about the fact we were going to be doing this episode and this section about tickets. We got an awful lot of emails and an awful lot of messages in, as I'm sure you lads have, have, have seen a lot from, from fans as well. Um, here's a couple of them. Michael uh, emailed in, said, season ticket transfers. Great. Just done it really easy uh, as I've got an adult full price. Though, seen issues going the other way. Uh, Paul, he's asked, is it possible to transfer a concession to an adult and pay the difference if needed? It is. I do that relatively regularly. My stepson is um, just got his first graduate job down in London, so we can't make it back to every game because he's he's on shift quite a bit. So I I shift his ticket on, and that is from a youth ticket to an adult ticket, and it just takes you to check out. You pay the difference using your card. Yeah. So that's really straightforward. There are issues going the other way, however. So there's some system glitches that need sorted. And their calls to the box office, which that <laughs> causes a whole different kind of anxiety for people trying to get through the box office. It's difficult, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So in the main, it's fairly straightforward. If you are just doing an adult to an adult or a youth to an adult, it tends to work. But there are a few issues. I mean, just picking up on the, on the box office point, I think that is sort of a microcosm and also something which is amplified that that this is where the club has moved in sort of this such a short space of time, and that that hasn't grown yet as it as it wouldn't necessarily have done in that time frame, and that is something that I know they're looking to address and will come over time. But that's the problem: is two years ago, the box office was still busy because you always have issues with tickets, but there wasn't the demand as Paul mentioned before as there is now, and there wasn't this change which is exemplified that even further. And so, therefore, that's something which over time, hopefully that. I know the club are looking to address it, but that just needs to... I think they need to change where the box office is. I think they need to change, obviously, the processes behind it, uh, the, the volume of staff, and then hopefully in time that will ease some of these issues because because some of these things are, are complicated and are just coming through now. To actually speak to someone to help you, that's exactly what some fans need. It's a bit of a circle, really, because if the if the ticketing site works as it should work, then there won't be quite as many queries. Because there's so many queries, there's more people ringing in. They're definitely short-staffed. There's still that Ashley Eggers legacy That's it, isn't it? in the support areas of the club. Now, they, they start advertising over the weekend, I think, for box office staff as it goes. But they'll probably fix the ticketing site 
before they managed to hire the box office staff. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not quite as easy as just saying, let's just chuck a load of staff in the box office because I don't think the box office is rammed with calls all day, every day. I might be wrong, like, but that way they've got to, they've actually got to have a look at the trends of where it's, where peak calls are and then hire staff probably on a part-time basis to be able to fill those gaps. So it's not quite so easy, but if they get the ticketing site to actually work all the time, every time without flicking up errors or inability to transfer tickets, then there won't be quite as many calls. There won't be quite as many calls. There won't be the demand for the box office who are then feeling under pressure to get people off the phones really quickly. And that's when people are coming to us at the trust to try and help them. So we've almost, since August, been an extension of the customer service arm of Newcastle United, which... It's not what you want, is it? It's not. Of course it's not. But we feel obliged that we help our members and the wider fan base. We've also had a, a, an email here of Julia who said, I'm lucky enough to live in a household which has two season tickets shared between me, my husband and my 13-year-old son. Prior to this season, we have often been able to buy a third ticket, typically uh, as the season tickets are adult tickets. That, that means buying a third child's ticket in my son's name. Uh, due to the new system, we now have to enter my son in the ballot on his own. There is no way of selecting a seat so that he can sit close to us. This isn't practical. Uh, perhaps the ballot prize could be accessed to the website with a code to select your own seat in the area of the ground of your choice. This would help families like us who want to buy an extra ticket for a child to sit close to them. It's different for everyone, isn't it, Thomas? But th there's so many different avenues and different caveats to this system and the way it works that someone is always going to end up losing out, aren't they? And this is where I have a little bit of sympathy with the club because it, it, it's so difficult to satisfy. Everyone's got a story. Yeah. Everyone's got a problem. Everyone's got a you know their own individual circumstances that uh, and, and a justified argument as to why they feel they should be in this position to get a ticket. But it, it's how you satisfy that. I don't think anyone has the answer, truly. I think it'll take a lot of research, a lot of work, a lot of discussions, both internally and with, with the fan base. It, it goes back to the whole thing of this all feeling very rushed and not giving time to people to, to sort of blend into this new way of doing things. And that, and that has caused a lot of, probably a lot of, we, we've used the word anxiety, but a lot of anger as well. There is the concern that whilst the club's getting better and better on the pitch, are we in a situation where we are locking that young lad out? For example, is he is he going to get a ticket again? If he, you know, he's not going to go and sit by himself. So you know, the, it, are you are you potentially losing fans because they just can't get in the ground? There's so many different things to this that it's 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 really difficult. I wish I had the answers, but I don't think anyone does at this stage. It is hard. Let's go with this email as well. This one's from Steve Mallon. Uh, he kicked this off with a beautiful sentiment, I must be honest. Uh, love the show, listener slash subscriber, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's a good thing that season ticket holders on lower points can now get to away games. I know people with points in the 40s and 50s who hadn't been to an away game since before the takeover. It's clearly evident that good numbers of tickets were regularly going to people without the points to buy their own ticket, and it should not come down to who you know. So in principle, I agree with the changes that require a ticket holder to be the one who goes without agreeing with some of the specific things that have been done. I know some people object to the whole ID thing in principle, but besides safeguarding concerns, the fact that it has evidently stopped some widespread buying of tickets purely for the points shows that it was necessary. Paul, this is something that I'm seeing again and again on social media, is people talking about points hoarding and people buying tickets just for a point and maybe moving those tickets on to friends and family. 
It's happened for years, hasn't it? The T's and C's in away tickets has always been that they're non-transferable. But until the start of this season, it's not been policed. Right? I think by policing it, they've done the right thing. 100%, it's, it's no longer a closed shop for away tickets because people were buying them. As soon as they went on sale, they were selling out right really quickly in the main. And there are, there are people on social media that have been, I guess, tracking for years when tickets have sold out and they're, they're comparing it this year. That's way above my time availability to do something like that. <laughs> but um, I do like what they've done in terms of the inability on the whole just to give tickets away to anybody. I think what gives, you know, what right does a season ticket holder to cho- uh, have to choose who takes their ticket if they buy it for a loyalty point? I think that's the right thing to do. I like that they drop them the points on a daily basis because more people are getting to go to away games. In terms of what Steve said there, in terms of the ID thing, the ID thing is is wrong and we've publicly come out as a trust and told the club in a statement that it's wrong. People have been presumed guilty until proven innocent by having a nulled ticket. It's causing huge amounts of anxiety. People are having to take passports to a football game. Somebody lost their passport in Milan. They got found, <laughs> thankfully. Somebody lost their passport in Milan, right? Um, because it was fully, I know Italian football's different. It's fully ID checked um, on the gate. But I do not think people should have to take photographic ID to a football game. I just think it's an infringement on civil liberties. And, you know, it's all well and good at the Etihad having a ticket that goes red, but the box office is next door to the away entrance. At Old Trafford with 78,000 people and you've got to walk around the ground to go and get a duplicate ticket. It's just not right. It's just wrong. Just to jump in on that as well, you are seeing some clubs in the Premier League bring this in. Maybe not to the extent that we're doing it. I think ours is the harshest that I've seen. But it's, you know, that idea that I, I could be travelling to an away game with a with a dud ticket. I, I find that really uncomfortable. I feel like it's in a, it's almost an attack on the culture of of football fans who who do turn up late. You know, fair enough, you can you can send all the messages in the world or turn up early. You're gonna to have to turn up early in case your ticket goes red. No, I shouldn't have to. Because I'm not guilty. Yeah, I've got my own ticket. I shouldn't be having to turn up half an hour or an hour before the game just to be just in case my ticket goes red. I've never done it, and I don't feel I don't feel I'm doing anything wrong in doing so. I think football fans across England are exactly the same. They'll turn up when they get there. They should be expected to be able to get in, knowing that the ticket's working. Now you could you could do a system that other clubs have, where they, for example. You pre-warn them. So, I don't know, five days in advance, you tell them, look, we want just to do an ID check. We want you to come yeah. in and collect your ticket. Then they've got enough warning. That would make sense. Right? Yeah. But now it's 3,000 people turning up the turnstile and you don't know whose ticket's going to go red and at what time or what or where they've got to go. There is a massive health and safety risk, right? Because it could be someone that turns up wearing a black and white top, ticket goes red, they've got to go to the other side of the ground to collect their ticket. It's that's a completely unacceptable way to deal with it, and no one suggested this. No one suggested doing this at all. When when the club have had the ticket in workshops and everything else, this was not an idea in terms of the level that they've gone to with the ID checks. It's 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 too harsh, and this for me is where the the club need to lean on 
Um, I, I assume they're going to be announcing a fan advisory board pretty soon with the meeting that they're having this week. But it's, um, you know, so they're going to announce a fan advisory board. Lean on that fan advisory board. You work with the fan base. Come up with a solution to this problem. But until then, you scrap this stupid idea of, of 3,000 tickets going to people and you don't know who's as a dud. Yeah. I think it's completely unacceptable, a, a way to treat all fans. And as Paul said, it, it's guilty till proven yeah. innocent. And I think it's totally wrong. And I think just to add to that, it's only until recently that if you buy a group of tickets, let's say you buy four tickets and they all go to the lead, nobody knew whose ticket was whose. They've started at least sending an email out saying, this is your ticket, this is your ticket. So you actually know which ticket to distribute to which person. Because before that, you could have had four tickets. One of them could have been a null and void ticket. It's given to the wrong person. You go to the box office of the wrong flaming ticket. And it's yeah. ju- it's, it, it's all it's messy, wrong. isn't it? It's, it's very messy. It's totally messy and it needs to it, as well, one thing I would say, and, and I know what Steve's saying in his email there, that it's 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 helped the points drop, and it absolutely has, right? There's no doubt about that. But what it has done has caused another problem in the sense that I actually think there's people now buying tickets and just not turning up. That, to me, is worse than passing a ticket on. You know, the, the, the culture of passing tickets on is something that's been... It's happened for years, not just in Newcastle. And, it, and it, you know, I would rather there was someone in that seat... Than someone just buying the ticket for the point and not going, because what, what what would you rather hear? Would you rather have someone in the seat supporting the team, or someone who's yeah okay they've legitimately bought the ticket, but because there's no punishment for not turning up, that's that it's created another issue. It's just an empty seat. Yeah. It's it's a mess. <laughs> it is a mess. It really is. I was going to add to that. Brighton, Brighton was the second away game of the season. I think there were numerous away seats there. I think it was. Some of them will have been people on low point because it sold out at one point when the ballot didn't it right because it was just half past five on a Saturday with no trains back on our ticketing event that you can you can find the, the minutes or the, the report I suppose of it on our website um, that we did we did a round table so the London mags were on for example the London mags had said lots of tickets were returned so there was several hundred empty seats at Brighton they could have bought up those tickets and sold them on at cost price uh, to their members. And they would have filled the ground. You know, the last thing you want to see, as Thomas has said, is empty seats at a away ground. Absolutely. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. More on the way end. Steve uh, from the previous emails also added this as well. I also think it's curious that the atmosphere at games has been blamed on the ticket and changes. Man United and Sheffield United were both very good away ends even before we scored. And Man United was an awkward trip with lots more people without points and a squad that raised eyebrows. The games with poor atmosphere, West Ham, Wolves, Man City, uh, are the ones where we are spread out and are always... Uh, less good, Thomas. Uh, it ma- he makes a good point, doesn't he? Yeah, Man City's away end is not great for creating an atmosphere. Wolves certainly isn't. Uh, I try not to link it too much. I think that, I think there's a few things that come into play on this one. Like I thought the atmosphere at Bournemouth 
wasn't great personally, but it it was it was good in parts. Uh, but I think there's also there's an expectancy there that's that's crept in with the fan base with certain games, um, you know, and and we all said that this wouldn't happen, but I think it was inevitable. I think there's there's issues. I I don't think it relates too much to the the points as such. I don't at all. There's a lot of new people that are that are obviously going to the games, and and for some it might be. It might be the first time going to away games, and it just takes a bit of time to get used to. I, I don't know, but it's yeah. I, I wouldn't put the the issue of the atmosphere solely down to the point system. I wouldn't either. Fair play. Um, Peter Howie uh, said this on a similar theme. I went quite regularly in the championship, but I've never been able to go to weekend games. Finally got successful in the ballot for AC Milan. Concerned about getting called out by some fans for not being as loyal as them, uh, in, invo- in, in uh, quotation marks. Is it not getting a bit concerning with our fans always bickering with each other, mainly over tickets? Paul, this is something which we've seen quite a bit, isn't it? There's been some alarming stories of aggro and bickering and away ends. Uh, another interesting side effect of that ballot system. The comms around it, they're a bit madcap and there's some conspiracy theories about podcasters and influencers getting preferential treatment. It, it's a bit concerning, isn't it? There's a little bit of paranoia creeping in. There's a lot of paranoia creeping in. I don't think that uh, Peter should worry about going to, the, going to St. James's Park and being called out for not being a proper fan. That's just a load of nonsense if you'll excuse me and it said bollocks there but i was told i'm allowed to swear yeah i just are. think that's a load of crap no it's it's positively encouraged if you come on this podcast you Lovely have to swear. That's the yeah <laughs> i think that's a load of shite I've, I've never you know i've had a season ticket for 30 years you, you've always seen newish people coming into certain seats that are were used to be available just to buy with the stick man etc and i don't think i've ever seen people called out for not being a proper fan i did see a tweet was it a couple of weeks ago, one of the away Just games? Just the one about the guy wearing the American football, American football hat. He's been going home and away for 30 years and he, yeah. and he hasn't got a Geordie accent, so he got called out for not being a fan. A lot of it comes down to the anger on ticketing. It really does. Um, but no, I don't think Peter needs to worry, if I'm perfectly honest. I think he'll be more than welcomed into the ground like every single Newcastle fan always is. It seems like there's a little bit of uh, almost jealousy at times as well as why has he got a ticket and I haven't got a ticket, Thomas, isn't there? There's a little bit of that going on and it's it's concerning, isn't it? Because it detracts from the real the real point of everything, which is supporting the team, going to the games and, and getting behind the lads on the pitch. And if people are looking at the row next to them and thinking, yeah. why has he got a ticket? Why has she got a ticket when so-and-so hasn't and so-and-so hasn't? It becomes a real issue, doesn't it? Uh, it really, really does, and I, I think what doesn't help is is the transparency around ticketing. You know, as Paul has touched on before, we don't know how many members there are, we don't know how many tickets go on sale for each home game, and, and I, I just feel that could be a little bit better. For example, I'm out here in North Macedonia with England, who are the best in terms of transparency. They tell you exactly how many tickets they've got. They tell you exactly how many, because the, the, the way that England do it, it's on a 70-30 system. So 70% of the tickets go to people with the points and 30% go on a ballot. So you're told how many points is required in order to guarantee a ticket and then how many tickets are going to fall into the ballot. And then look for any ticket that isn't bought in that time, you're then told how many tickets go into the second chance sale. So it, there's, all, there's all that transparency. Everyone knows exactly where they stand. And, and I just feel the club could be doing that. I don't see any issues. I don't buy into the whole commercial sensitivity around it. Be honest with your fans. And, and I think it's that, that lack of transparency that is, that is causing some of the anger that you're seeing amongst the fan base and, and they're taking it out on each other. And it's just not right. No one wants to see it. 
Um, you know, no one deserves to be in a, a situation where they feel threatened at the ground because they've got a ticket for a game. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so, as we alluded to in the in the ballot chat, the football tourist thing has had a bit of a bad rap in the Premier League era, but we know from our listenership uh, and meeting fans in other parts of the world, there are exiled Geordies and people who are dedicated to following Newcastle all over the world. Fans who can't come to St James's Park on a regular basis, but would love to be able to see a match when they do get the chance to visit. Fans like Sean, uh, who said, hello from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, planning to be in the UK next April and I would really like to attend a game. I'm vaguely aware that securing a ticket is not an easy task. Any advice you could give me would be much appreciated and I am not above bribery, Paul. <laughs> well, have we got any advice for people like uh, for people like Sean who are coming from overseas and want to see a game? I think my first advice is don't buy tickets off a third-party site. It's really difficult. Ballots are going on sale four weeks maximum before the games. Manchester City, and Thomas, you might know better than I do, have done every ballot for every home game this season already. Yeah, there's some clubs do that. If they yeah. can do it, why can't we do it? Other than the issues with the ticketing site might be able to cope with it, right? I don't know. Yeah. I guess the the main guarantee, and, and you know, it's going to cost them a fortune coming from Virginia anyway, he should try and get a hospitality ticket somewhere like the barracks or somewhere that is... I mean, it's ridiculous, 160, 180 quid for a ticket in the barracks. Yeah. But I think hospitality might be the way forward to guarantee because otherwise he's going to be booking his flights, he's going to be booking his hotels and he's going to be going into a ballot with, every, you know, however many thousand other people three to four weeks before the game kicks off. It's it's wrong. Can, can the club set some tickets aside for international members? So I don't see any benefits for international members at the moment that enables them to come to their one or two games a year. Just can't do it. And again, it's because demand is far outstripping supply, but there doesn't seem to be any caveat or anything in place to actually be able to help these guys get a ticket. So I guess my advice would probably to go down the hospitality route if affordable and if possible. And just the the final sort of thing I want to cover is sort of cup tickets and European tickets. And Thomas, you said in uh, in the recent round of table event with the NUST that you would look to Europe for best practice on tickets and fan relations. Who were you specifically thinking of there? Was that like Dortmund, for example, where Newcastle have just been? Was it was it a few different? Where was it exactly you were thinking of for inspiration there? To be honest, it would be any sort of any club that is has that uber demand, um, like a Dortmund like a buy-in, you know, there's a lot of research we can do. We work closely with an organisation called Football Supporters Europe um, who will have this information. Um, there's, there'll, there'll be a lot of useful info, info out there that we can get a hold of because I think it's worth looking at those clubs that have been doing it for years and years and years and trying to deal with that demand for such a long time. Um, I think there's a lot to learn. So that that it's, it's no one specific, but certainly... Um, you know those those clubs that have that have been doing it for a long time, and I mean Chelsea fans, I think, are unhappy because there's been a sudden uplift in cup ticket prices for their owners for Newcastle going there, obviously for the Carabao Cup quarter final uh, next month. Thirty eight pound for the Newcastle game just before Christmas seems a disappointing factor. I mean, there there seems to be a lot of clubs are doing this, and I mean Newcastle, I suppose that the argument from Dortmund fans and of European fans visiting here was that their tickets are very expensive whereas obviously when Newcastle fans went to Dortmund it was either way around 
Paul, I'll come to you first on this. I mean, just how how frustrating is this for football supporters in general that prices just seem to be going up? And then if you have a club like Newcastle, suddenly it's a, I assume it's a bigger draw for, for for Chelsea as well that these tickets go up at a, at a time of the year when people are already struggling. Well, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I think it's despicable. It's thirty eight quid. I think it wasn't it thirty nine quid to go to go to Old Trafford as well, where Premier League ticket prices are thirty quid and have been for four or five years now. I suppose I can't remember. I can't remember paying more than that previously. I think it's just disgusting, but it's it's the way of the economic world and financial fair play, I suppose. Now, I know that ticket revenues are a very small cog in the turnover of a football club, but, you know, Chelsea are seeing Newcastle come to town and they know that we'll sell out regardless of what they'll charge because we sent 7,000 to Man United at 39 quid. It's disgusting and it needs to be called out. And, and I guess something needs to be done. If, if you can get Premier League games at 30 quid, why can't you get cup games at 30 quid? Right then, let's uh, let's just sort of wrap everything up. Lads, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. I know this has been a complex topic over the last uh, the last few months and we really appreciate y- your time and your thoughts on, on this stuff and thank you for answering those questions. I just want to ask as well, Paul, what's the best course of action for people who want to be heard and, and, and have their questions answered? Oh, that's my plug to... Join the trust, is it? <laughs> I think it might be, you know. No, you're very, that's very kind of you. Um, yeah, you can go online on our website and join the trust. You can email in board at nufctrust.co.uk. We reply to every email. We try and reply to every tweet that comes in, <laughs> although it's yeah. it's calmed down a little bit recently. But yeah, you can email us in. We'll help as best as we can. But in terms of us as a trust, we've got over 10,500 members. Here's my plug again. Um, we're stronger together. So the more members we have, the, the louder voice that we have. Thomas, thank you so much as well for coming on. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on. Old friend of the podcast, been around a while. I saw you when we were in Dortmund. You were stood outside of a bar. I went to say hello. I got distracted. By the time I turned around, you were gone. I never got the chance. But it's always lovely to see you, mate, and thanks for coming on. Uh, and where is it that you are again? It's North Montenegro, is it? Was that where it was? <laughs> That's where Chris is going on his holiday next year. But, Found uh, skiing this time yeah. here, apparently, Chris, North Montenegro. <laughs> <laughs> just just before just before you guys go i just want to say that i mean obviously this is a very emotive subject and it is something and thomas has touched upon it from the club's point of view i just want to say that it is a very difficult situation and i think no matter how much reform goes on in the future because of all the individual situations that thomas has mentioned i don't think there is a perfect solution i think there are far better solutions than there is there are at the moment and these issues will be ironed out going forward but also i suppose the reason that that this situation is, is unfolding in the way it is, is the demand. And why is there the demand now for tickets? It's because Newcastle United are a transformed football club to where they were two years ago. Yeah. Fans want to go again. And there are so many issues which we'll talk about going forward, but how do you get the younger fans into the ground? How do you get people who were maybe disillusioned previously back in the ground? There's so much demand. Obviously, only 52,000 at St. James's. Can you extend it? The likes. But within that, this seemed like it's been a bit of a ranty episode, and it has. And because there are so many issues and people are frustrated, by it but I think that, that to, to look back at that that they, a large part of this is negative and frustrating but it comes from I suppose an overall largely positive situation it does absolutely right Chris right thank you very much chaps thanks for coming on and thank you for your time uh, and we'll be back in just a moment This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. There we go. Uh, an interesting chat, that Chris, wasn't it? Very emotive. The, it's a spiky issue at the minute, that one, isn't it? The ticket, and everyone seems to have an opinion on it. Everyone has feelings on it. And, of course, the club are trying to deal with it as well, aren't they? They are, yeah. And as I said before, this is a, an issue which, no matter what solution I think they'll come up with going forward, which I'm sure will be better than the current situation, I don't think everyone is ever going to be pleased with it. It's, it's an almost impossible one to solve, but it, it's an ever-changing thing which they need to. And, I mean, the club would, would point you, for those fans who have got issues, they would point you towards a, the club's website, which has got a step-by-step guide to using those digital tickets, downloading them, the like, frequently asked questions and all that sort of stuff, and also to, to go to the box office. They've had teething problems, they've acknowledged that, they've already made some changes, uh, including to they adjusted the ballot process very early on, because initially you couldn't select the price of the ticket you wanted, which they've already done, and after they did that, uh, Darren Eels, who's the CEO, came out and said, supporter engagement is hugely important to us, and we will continue to seek fans' views as we build towards sustainable success together. So they're going to continue to listen to supporters. Peter Silverstone, uh, the chief commercial officer, also said on the True Faith podcast earlier this season that he appreciates there's been some ticket changes that might be taken time to be communicated but they're working on them, they're going to keep working on them. And I think they're going to look at the website going forward, they're looking at Wi-Fi in the stadium, all these sorts of things. So it's an ongoing issue, but one the club is aware of and is trying to deal with as well. Come on you, Maggie. So a slightly reinvigorated Chelsea come to St James's Park this Saturday. We are recording Monday lunchtime and Kieran Trippier has returned early from England duty. So the only remaining appointments for our players in international duty are as follows. Uh, Tino Livramento with England under 21s versus Northern Ireland at Goodison Park on Tuesday night, Jacob. Yeah, so I'll try and pick up for Chris, seeing as Chris is ideologically opposed to international football and will be boycotting any <laughs> watching of kind of the most promising young talent which our country has to offer. Yeah, it's um, Anyway, the, the kind of exciting thing about Livermento playing for England under-21s is last season he missed out on a lot of this international development um, because of his injury. But coming into the England under-21s team, they play a similar 4-3-3 system as Newcastle with kind of eights who drift inwards. Yeah. So uh, against Serbia, he started, played the whole game uh, at right back and kind of with Medweke on the right wing from Chelsea, he likes to cut in. James McAtee, the City player who's kind of also likes to drift centrally. Livermento could just absolutely bomb up and down those flanks, which is exactly, you know, how you want to use him. 3-0 win over Serbia. And uh, yeah, nice to see some stylish football at Goodson Park on Tuesday, hopefully. So yeah, he's going well. And I mean, I was speaking to some people involved in the England setup a couple of weeks ago. They were kind of really impressed with how Livermento has been dealing with a step up after missing a year, kind of basically skipped an international year to be playing for the under-21s. They seem as really promising and sort of even 
within this absolute glut of right backs which England have they kind of see him as potentially having a role going forward to the senior sides in the future years down the line I mean, I'll put my hand up and say that when, when Tino Livermento joined us, I hadn't watched him an awful lot. I hadn't seen him play an awful lot of football. I'm so impressed with him, Chris, and, and how he's came in. He looks like he's been playing in that Newcastle team for years, doesn't he? And he's only been a bit of a bit part player so far as well. But the performances have been magnificent from him. They have, and he's had a very, very strong reputation in football for a long while. The only concern really about him within football was how he was going to come back from what was a very serious injury. Was he going to have the sort of explosive pace he had before? And he, yeah. he's come back and, and, and as things stand still so far, he looks like he's dealing, that, dealing with that very well. He's really improved the defensive side of his game, which was a bit of a weakness earlier on in his career because he was he started in the youth as a sort of right winger almost, a right-sided forward. Yeah. And I know some Newcastle fans, there's been a frustration that Livermento probably hasn't played a bit more, but how is tried to look after him a bit in terms of he's come back from that long-term injury. He can't just be thrown in and play so many matches. Absolutely. And the likes of him and Lewis Hall, they are still learning Eddie Howe's system, exactly what he wants and the like. So the idea was that they would be integrated throughout this season and then probably play more of it during the second half of the season. But Livermento's performances have been so good that I think, and given the injury situation, I think we'll see more and more of them. Fair play. Um, Jacob Bruno and Joe Linton as well facing Argentina with Brazil on Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. It's vital, isn't it, that Bruno Guimarães stays fit, even though they've probably not had the best of times recently, have they? No, so I mean, Brazil are on a little bit of a slump at the moment. They played Colombia last week in a game which will be known as the Luis Diaz game. So just for context, his dad was obviously taken, uh, kidnapped and got released. And three days later, sees his son score a brace to beat Brazil. I think it's only the second time in about 28 years that they've beaten them. And there were some complaints in Brazil that Guimarães was a little bit panicked in possession, a little bit flustered. Now, if there's a game which you don't necessarily want to go in uh, to with that, it's Argentina, current world champions. And also if there's a game you want to potentially avoid injury in, going up against Argentina, reigning world champions, and with a slight reputation for playing on the edge physically. Yes, absolutely. I can understand if there are some people kind of, let's say, it must be a 1am kickoff. I mean, there will be some people watching it with fear underneath the bedclothes just to make sure that Bruno makes it through unscathed. With Bruno Gamaris, we, we said these stats last week. I mean, Newcastle just don't win without him in the Premier League. So he came in coming back for Newcastle this weekend, having been suspended at Bournemouth, is absolutely massive as well. So even if for Brazil maybe he hasn't convinced at that level for them, for Newcastle, he's absolutely vital to everything they do. Yeah, we've otherwise pretty much emerged from these fixtures unscathed, haven't we, Chris? Um, Fabian Cher... Though he was a bit of a concern at the start of the break, wasn't he? Well, he he obviously seemed to suffer a bit of a muscular problem at Bournemouth. And when he joined up with the uh, Switzerland squad, he didn't play in the first match. He was an unused substitute. Now Switzerland have confirmed that that he is fit and available. That was my understanding. Anyway, that Newcastle weren't concerned about it. They actually are very pleased with how Switzerland have dealt with that. Maybe in the past, some of their international players have gone away and they haven't been overly pleased with how they've been dealt with condition-wise, but given the load that Fabian Shares had, given how stretched he was in that situation, he, he is fine. Emil Krafts played a couple, uh, played for, for Sweden. Played 90 minutes, didn't he, yesterday? Yeah, first time he played in about, uh, I think it was about 16, 17 months for, for Sweden, so great to see him back at international level. Good for him to get further minutes in there as he makes his step up back to, to play for Newcastle because he's going to be needed again in the course of the coming weeks, certainly in the Premier League because he can't play in the Champions League. 
Lewis Hall's had some minutes for England in the 20s as well. They play again later today on, on the Monday. So whether he plays that second match as well, we, we will wait and see. But hopefully, at Touchwood, so far, Newcastle haven't had any further injuries on international duty. And I know Eddie Howe has been sort of sat at home, almost like crossing his fingers and hoping that his, his international players come back fit because he just can't afford anyone to come back injured. You can really imagine him in the back cave, can't you? With about sort of eight different screens for <laughs> matches all over the world, sat there with his tea and his very ordinary sort of no-frills biscuit, dipping it in and just hoping that there's no sign of a knee strain for ML Craft or whatever. <laughs> I'm saying you've definitely not thought about that at all, have you, Jacob? That's brilliant. Definitely not been daydreaming about Eddie Howe as Batman, have you? That, that would be a strange direction for the franchise to go in, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. True, but he's got his Robin. <laughs> I think you'll find it's Robin and Batman now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, OK. Uh, congratulations as well to Martin Dubravka, who sealed Euros qualifications with Slovakia. Chris, another Newcastle player who's going to be at the Euros. Good for him. Yes, very good for him. I mean, obviously he isn't playing much football for Newcastle United at the moment, although was part of the side who won returning to Manchester United, the club he went to on loan last season in the Carabao Cup. Whether he plays at Chelsea in that competition, we wait and see. But as a backup goalkeeper for Newcastle, I have a very, very strong one. So yeah, good that he's he's managed to get those minutes for Slovakia and just, just keep him ticking over a bit. Also, uh, Chris, Callum Wilson's extended absence has been confirmed, hasn't it? Sven Botman, maybe a bit more good news with him. Uh, Alexander Izak and Miggy Amaron shouldn't be too far off, maybe even fit for Chelsea if we're lucky. Yeah, so I wrote the other day how Callum Wilson... The prognosis is about four to six weeks, so I think that that's going to be mid-December, probably before you're going to see Callum Wilson again for Newcastle. Frustrating hamstring injury initially came off, and it was at Dortmund. He was taken off as a precaution, a tight hamstring, but turns out after the scan that actually it was it was six weeks. It tends to be the case with Callum Wilson. Whenever you think it's just going to be a short-term injury, it always tends to be slightly longer. So that's a frustration. But yes, Alexander Isak should hopefully be back uh, this weekend. Newcastle are hoping he's going to be. Still, the issue of can he play? Th- can he start three matches in a week? So, how does Eddie Howe mix that up? Does he have him on the bench on Saturday and then start him at in Paris? Vice versa, does he yeah. play him in the first two games? We'll wait and see. Sven Botman is a bit more complicated because Newcastle are probably going to have to take a risk with him either way and it looks like at the minute they're hoping he's going to be able to avoid an operation on his troublesome knee. He injured his knee, played a couple of matches, then it flared. It basically swore, it swollen up. Uh, they then rested him, brought him back, but then it swelled up again. So they've taken a bit more time this time, and they're hoping that that, that in the course of the next couple of weeks he should be all right. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see on that because it's still touch and go to a certain degree. Then Miguel Almiron, uh, hamstring injury. He wouldn't have been fit if Newcastle were playing at the weekend, just gone. But the, he is. there is an outside chance he's going to be starting this weekend. Certainly should be in and around the squad for next week. But yeah, that's... Whereas Longstaff has also... He's turned his ankle. Mm. Uh, at, at, so he that's, that's swollen up a little bit. He's touch and go for Chelsea, I think. Some so some positives there and some negatives as well. And Fabian Shea, as far as we're aware, he's all right coming back from Switzerland. Yeah, that that they're confident that Switzerland have dealt with him well, and so as long as he doesn't pick up an injury when they play, then they're, they're hopeful that Shea should be fit. So we've still got a few negatives there, Chris, but is there any reason to be positive on the horizon? Well, I was invited onto the True Faith podcast over the weekend, and I was asked to come on and, and tell everyone that the things would be all right, you know, our friends at True Faith, and I failed miserably, because, you know, my <laughs> natural disposition is to be negative about yeah. everything, and, you know, just, I, I don't, I'm pessimistic, as people would say, but I have subsequently, thanks to Opta sending out a stat pack to me, found a couple of st- a statistics to be very positive. So Newcastle have won their last four Premier League home matches without conceding a single goal. 
if they make it five, that'll be the first time they've done that since February 1907. Wow. Yeah, even George wasn't born then. Not far off, though, was it? No, not far <laughs> off. No, no, he was just, just a couple of years after. But also, Newcastle United are let, yet to lose a single Saturday 3pm Premier League kickoff under Eddie Howe. Surprisingly, they have actually had 18 of them as well, which even though last season they didn't seem to have a single one. doesn't feel like it, does it? No. So, but the, I mean, the last side to beat them on, at 3 o'clock on a Saturday was Chelsea just before the takeover. But still, we're going to stick with the positives. So there's two reasons why. Absolutely. And Newcastle's home form is wonderful in Germany. They're very, they are very, very good at St. James's Park. And I don't want fear for them at St. James's Park. So although Chelsea are coming here in a bit of a bit of form, scoring goals, they're also conceding goals. And uh, yes, I still think Newcastle have a very good opportunity this weekend to hopefully give them a bit of positive momentum going into what is a run of of 11 games between then and, and New Year's Day. So we take 1-0 against Chelsea, wouldn't we, Jacob? And a goal from a corner, that would be very nice, thank you very much. We absolutely would. The better worked, the better. We. That was we, by the way. He yes, said but that. that was because I was we. quoting you. You said we would take <laughs> that. And so that was a direct quote from you. I'm not having that. This is semantics. Abandoning, it, abandoning in Everton at the time See of that. need. Absolutely the trap not. There, Chris. Did you notice that? Set the trap. I did. Walked straight in. It was quoting you. Is a quote. We. Well, I'm not going to say it now. I'm not going to say my point. <laughs> Sorry, Jacob. Go on. Go for it. Yeah, preferably Newcastle will score from a corner because I do. I do want them to win. But even more, I want my point to be proved um, from the piece which I've written, which is out this morning or Monday morning. Uh, about Newcastle's set piece record, which is kind of they are now one of the best set piece sides in the in the league under Jason Tindall and the help of Eddie Howe and also goalkeeping coaches um, who play quite a big role. And so Newcastle famously went 494 corners uh, between not scoring back in 2013. I imagine Chris must have uh, been there for a long amount of that or of that period. Do you do you remember, I remember that? that well. uh, I remember that very well. Yes, it used to basically be. You know, usually you get that sort of shout from. I think you mentioned this in a piece that Jose Mourinho says that you get that sort of cheer in, in, in English grounds when there's a corner. When Newcastle used to get them, everyone used to sigh and just think this is a complete waste of time. Well, we're out of those dark days now. We, we're out of those dark days as a collective, not yeah. as Newcastle supporters. Um, well dodged. And sort of now, if you go by the advanced metrics, so the best way to calculate it is XG or goals per 100 set pieces because that allows for the teams who get more or less and yada yada. And Newcastle are right at the top of those statistics. So that's both for goals scored and goals against. Um, annoyingly, when I first started researching this, they were absolutely miles clear and then they conceded two from set pieces uh, against Wolves, which really was absolutely terrible timing. Um but look into it, and it's really interesting to see how elaborate their short corner routines are. Lots of them are still the same ones which were used against uh, while Howe and Tindor at Bournemouth. They're really good at this kind of sneaky little blocking manoeuvres, which kind of every team does, but Newcastle are really good. And I spoke to uh, players at Bournemouth who said that sort of Howe would almost teach them blocking technique, um, and you couldn't have a subtle one. You had to have more subtle ones doing it, so, you know, you don't just have... Jalinton, for example, going and absolutely bodying someone in the middle of a uh, yeah. middle of a six-yard box. So yeah. Cher, very good at sort of a subtle little sort of pushes out his tush and uh, yes. sort of get kind of. He push. did that on the um, the Dan Byrne goal against exactly. Sheffield United, didn't exactly. he? Just leans, just gives a bit of twerking in the eighteen-yard box, just pops it out there. And it blocks off the defender. It's really clever. And it's really interesting. Next time you, you watch Newcastle Corner, just try and watch how many players have absolutely no interest in the ball and how many are literally <laughs> just trying to either yeah. 
block lines or running dummy lines and you will kind of see in so many of them they are, there is almost just this effort to form this wall across the middle just to almost exploit one person in Trippier obviously that yeah. Trippier's delivery is outstanding there, there is criticism from some parts of the fan base about it but I think the statistics bear out that he is just an elite set piece taker within the Premier League and he has the ability just to put it on somebody's head perfectly um, and so yeah I took a deep dive in I made a couple of nice graphics I hope they're nice uh, so yeah check that out Absolutely Chris as well I, I, somebody made the point to me recently about that back four and about how for a long time it very rarely changed did it our back four in that time we did not concede many goals at all from set pieces. Now we've had a few injuries. Obviously, Dan Burns missing. Uh, Sven Botman's missing. Jamal Lascelles has came in and done brilliantly, but things have changed a little bit and we have started conceding the odd goal. It, it must all marry up somewhere, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And I mean, I mean, I mentioned the statistics at St. James's Park for clean sheets, but it's on the road where Newcastle are sort of starting to concede more and more goals. And you would expect that because... You have to remember Newcastle are barely training at the minute in terms of actual full pace training because they can't because they've got so many matches. So yeah. not only is that established back five as it was, if you include Nick Pope, who've played together, built those relationships strong and you get the confidence from it of, of multiple clean sheets. Not only are they not playing together anymore, the, the, the players who are coming in, those relationships aren't being formed on the training ground to the same degree either. And that's very, very... You, you, the set-piece drills, you can do some of them, but it's almost at walking pace, which is never the same as well. So yeah. that's where I, I think you can see Newcastle will struggle a little bit more. You've also got players playing out of position or players on the wrong side, Trippier, Livermento at left-back, various of the new players arrive in the summer in Livermento and Hall. They haven't had that much time as well. So yes, that's I think that, that does contribute to, to why those statistics have maybe started to slacken a little bit. And just to add a bit more context to that, so I'd like to quickly give a shout out to Kev Lawson, who edit Kev on Twitter, who gave me a little hand with uh, of the show. One, one detail, which is uh, Statsbomb, where, where he works. They have this great metric called um, HOPS, which is basically measuring the sort of it measures how good somebody is at aerial dueling and it takes into account the quality of a person they're trying to header against so for example oh, right, okay. and so by that way it kind of leads to this ranking system and if and if you average the um, hops rating of Newcastle's starting back four against the starting defensive line of every other team in the league Newcastle actually come out on top and some of reasons behind that is that by having Dan Byrne playing left back you've almost got this bonus centre back in there Trippy yeah. is really good amongst fullbacks and so altogether you have this unit and shared sort of aero defending not his strength as a centre back so Byrne kind of makes up for that and then plus you have still share who is good if you say compare him to other fullbacks or even he's average amongst centre backs um and so when you lose Botman and Byrne it does have this big knock-on effect that said yeah. they've still only conceded it's definitely one of Wolves one of them. The second one against Wolves is kind of a second phase corner. So whether you count that or not, it's a little bit more up for debate. But they still have one of the best records in the league, at least. Fair play. There you go. If you want to read that piece from Jacob about set pieces and corners and all the rest of it, uh, subscribe now via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just one ninety nine uh, a month. That's pounds, dollars or euros for your first 12 months. That's just about it. Thanks very much for your time, Chris Woff. You are very, very, very welcome. Um, yes, it's it's felt a bit sort of... I mean, we had the, the lively discussion about tickets, but it didn't feel like we had as much misery with George away. So, you know, I, I do think he's... I, do, I know you know he's trying to be nice and positive, George, now, but I do think that uh, this week just felt a bit lighter 
Jacob might not agree because you know we've, we've just eviscerated him by Everton, but you know that's how I feel. You need dark and light, Chris. You need balance in yeah. the force, don't you? That's what it is. Uh, Jacob, uh, thank you very much as well for your time. Lovely to have you back. Thank you very much. I am missing the northeast, and so I did start watching Alvida Zane Pet, oh, which I was kindly gifted uh, by Pod on the Tyne, um, ahead of my move back down to London. So I've been. Enjoying it. I'm three episodes in. I've been watching it with Lizzie, my girlfriend, and uh, I've thinking... not understood a word of it yet. <laughs> no, I've been following it. I've been following it. I've You've been, been thinking. I've been thinking about what Pod and Tyners match up um, with which with which characters. Oh, all right, all right then. Um, which, which I've been enjoying. I think Chris is a touch of a Neville, even sort of in terms of how they. I think there's also a slight resemblance as well, or sort of a way they carry themselves. I just slightly head shape maybe. Possibly. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, that's um, good. Because I've had some technological issues recently, I do see producer Ollie as the German foreman who has a lot of rules <laughs> and does yell at you occasionally. Um, Excellent. I, I think I've got to be London with uh, j- just my circumstances at the moment, even if I think he's a bit more debonair than me. Yeah, I'd say that, yeah. Um, Taylor is a classic bomber, I'd say. Oh, I'll have that. Yeah, whereas... Um, he'll, definitely, he'll definitely take yeah, that, I'll take yeah. that, Roger, every day of the week. Whereas um, George simply would not be in it because he would refuse to live in one of those porter cabin huts. <laughs> um, he, he, he's just not in it. So I can't give one there. Oh, brilliant. Well, there you go. Well, thanks, Jacob, again for your time. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and that's it. Thank you very much out there for listening. Uh, we'll be back with you next week after all this international football nonsense is out of the way. Uh, and Newcastle United will have played Chelsea. Thanks a lot for listening. Speak to you soon. From everybody at Pod on the Time, goodbye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.